There's a man looking for a job and he came across an ad in the local newspaper um, to say there was a, the local zoo was hiring. So the next day he went to the zoo and the interviews for the job. They tell him he's a perfect fit and that they'd like to offer him the job pretty much on the spot. But they can't tell him what it is. And if he takes the job, he can never tell anyone what he does or even tell people that he works at the zoo. So he agrees to do the job and they break the news that a week earlier their prized gorilla died and that they can't afford to buy a new one. His job was to dress up as that gorilla and entertain visitors to the zoo. He puts on the gorilla outfit, takes up his place in the gorilla enclosure. And the crowd begins to gather. He starts to move around the enclosure, and uh, there's a bit of a stirring among the crowd. And so he begins to grow in confidence. He, he starts to climb the trees, and the crowd love it. They start taking photographs and videos. And so he starts to charge at the glass and to beat his chest, and the crowd are absolutely thrilled, going mad. So eventually he sees a rope in the enclosure. He takes it up to the highest rock. He grabs it and swings with all of his might across the enclosure, a beautiful arc of a swing. But then he loses his grip, and on the upward part, he lets go and he flies out of the enclosure and into the adjacent enclosure, which is the lion's enclosure. At first, he's a little dazed from the fall, but then he hears an almighty roar and sees a huge lion coming towards him. And he shouts out, help, help, someone, please help me. Suddenly, the lion pounces, puts a big paw over his mouth and whispers, keep quiet, you'll get us both fired. So this morning, we conclude our series in Immerse, eight weeks at the Pentateuch, uh, reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and we're now in Deuteronomy. Just to say, well done. Uh, well done for engaging in that opportunity to read the first five books of the Bible. As the author of Scripture, the Lord is communicating to us, and He is shaping us. As the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, referring to the Old Testament, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. In terms of human agency, Moses is the primary author of the Pentateuch. There isn't a, a signature or a similar statement of authorship at the end, but certain passages say themselves that they are originally written by Moses. And Jewish tradition recognized Moses as the author, generally allowing for some later additions. For instance, the account of his death, the death of Moses at the very end of Deuteronomy. Since the beginning of Exodus, we've been reading about the extraordinary life of Moses. In the midst of the selective genocide of Hebrew baby boys commanded by the Egyptian pharaoh, his mother Jochebed puts him in a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproof with tar to float down the aisle with the hope and prayer that somehow among all the other baby boys' bodies floating down the river that day, that somehow her baby will survive. 
But by the grace of God and the quick thinking of his big sister Miriam, not only does Moses survive, but he's found and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and initially raised by his own mother before being handed back over to Pharaoh's daughter to be further raised as an Egyptian prince. And just thinking back to last week when we're thinking about investing in the younger generations, in our families and in our church, imagine the prayer and the teaching that must have been packed into young Moses' life by his father Amram and his mother Jochebed, knowing that within a few short years, they were going to hold past their precious boy back over to Pharaoh's daughter. Can you imagine the sense of urgency that they would have had in teaching and praying for their young child? So Moses is educated in the technical, cultural, and religious systems of Egypt. As a young man, he witnesses cruelty towards one of his fellow Hebrews. He kills the Egyptian responsible and hides the body in the sand. Realizing his secret is out, he flees the country to Midian. In time, he marries Zephora, and together they have a son, Gershom. Many years pass, the Israelites continue to groan under the burden of slavery, and they cry out to the Lord for help. The Lord appears to Moses through a burning bush, calling him to return to Egypt, confront the new Pharaoh, and lead the Israelites out of Egypt. The Lord, through Moses and his spokesman brother Aaron, brings ten judgments on the false gods of Egypt. Following the tenth judgment, which involves the death of all the firstborn sons of Egypt and the sparing or passing over of the firstborn sons among the Hebrew slaves, Moses leads the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the wilderness towards the land promised to them by the Lord as the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have to breathe. We're about two-thirds two of the way through the story. The journey should only take them 11 days. It takes them 40 years because of grumbling and disobedience. During those years, the Lord leads, sustains, trains, and disciplines the people. One generation dies, a new generation emerges. The number of people swells. They travel in formation with the tabernacle at their center. Moses continues to develop as a man and as a leader. Gradually, day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year, his friendship with the Lord develops. The Lord performs miracles through Moses and speaks to him. And increasingly, Moses can hear clearly the voice of the Lord. In time, the friendship grows so close that Moses' face glows with radiance from the very presence of the Lord. On one occasion, however, when the people blame Moses for having no water to drink, he seeks and receives guidance from the Lord, but then he does something different. The Lord instructs Moses to speak to a rock to pour out its water in front of the gathered assembly. Moses instead speaks angrily to the people and indicating that he personally will provide for them, he strikes the rock twice with his staff. Water gushes out, but the Lord is angry with Moses that he has not acknowledged the Lord as the one who provides for his people. So the Lord decrees that Moses will not lead the community into the land promised to them. Through Moses, the Lord communicates the instructions, regulations, and laws that he expects the Israelites to keep within their blood covenant so that they will experience all the blessings he longs to give them as 
his treasured possession. Having led the people to the edge of Canaan, Moses now aged 120, climbs Mount Nebo from where the Lord, uh, I've lost my place, from where the Lord allows him to see the promised land just before he dies. And Deuteronomy finishes with these words. There was There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. It's no wonder the ancient people of Israel so revered Moses and mourned his, his loss. Yet, as we heard read this morning, Moses himself prophesied, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you yourselves requested of the Lord, your God, when you were assembled at Mount Sinai. You said, don't let us hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore or see his blazing fire, for then we will die. Then the Lord said to me, what they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I command him. Hundreds of years later, a prophetic figure appears in the wilderness, a man called John, and he baptizes people in the Jordan River. In a way, he is preparing them to enter afresh into the promised land and to truly become the Lord's holy nation. It's clear that the people are longing for a deliverer, a new Moses, the Messiah, or the prophet about whom Moses prophesied. Another John, the apostle, the gospel writer, records what John the Baptist says when he's questioned about his identity. He says, I am not the Messiah. Well, then, who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No, then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. Later in John's gospel, after Jesus had performed the miracle of feeding more than 5,000 people, the people began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And they are right. Jesus is the prophet. He is the great successor to Moses. And so at the start of his gospel, John writes, 
about John the Baptist. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one about whom I spoke when I said, he comes after me, he has surpassed me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. John was saying loudly and clearly, this is the Word made flesh. This is the truth incarnate. This is truth in the flesh. That's why later in his gospel, John says that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has come as the one to bring rescue. As he says again in John's gospel, I have come in order not to condemn, but to rescue. Jesus is the prophet about whom Moses spoke when he said, I will raise up a prophet like you from among your fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I command him. Jesus Christ is born to deliver the people. His name, the New Testament tells us, is Jesus, meaning the Lord saves. He performs miracles even greater than those of Moses. He turns water into wine. He heals the sick. He drives out demons. He raises the dead. He doesn't need to part the water because he can walk on top of it. He calms the storm. He does miraculous things. And he leads the people out of slavery to sin. He doesn't falter during the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. He makes a covenant of grace in his own blood between the Lord and his people. He hears all the Father says to him, and he communicates clearly to the people how to live a blessed life. He is the one who has the closest relationship with the Father, much closer than that of Moses. He is himself the truth in person. He leads all who are willing to receive him into the eternal land of promise to receive the blessing of the Lord's very presence within them by his Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, Peter identifies Jesus as the prophet the people have been waiting for for so long. Just like Peter, followers of Jesus Christ that we are, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We too have the ability to hear the voice of the Lord. That's why Jesus said that those who follow him are his sheep and his sheep can hear his voice. He's not necessarily talking about an audible voice. What he's talking about is that into our very spirits, the spirit who dwells within us can speak and we can hear. And so, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. And he writes, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. The gift of prophecy builds up the church because through it, the church hears what the Lord has to say to them. Through the gift of prophecy, the Lord reveals the truth that sets His people free. Prophecy can be both 
foretelling and forthtelling. Foretelling is declaring what the Lord will bring about in the future, often issued to people to inspire faithfulness or as a warning, as when Jesus prophesied the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed, an event that happened decades later in 70 AD. Forthtelling, on the other hand, is just communicating truth. It's not telling us what's going to happen in the future, and yet it shapes what the future will look like. Forthtelling invites us as the hearers to respond in such a way that will shape us as kingdom people that will influence deeply what the future looks like. So Paul in his first letter to the Thessalonians says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. So Paul's encouraging us to pay attention to what other believers either foretell or foretell, and to test it against Scripture and other revealed truths, and to receive and live by what proves to be good, but to forget about what we discern is not from the Lord. Paul acknowledges that not every believer has the anointing of a prophet, but that is different than what it means to have the capacity to prophesy. And so he encourages all believers, including us, to earnestly desire to prophesy because we all have the capacity as followers of Christ to hear the voice of the Lord in our spirits and to communicate that, and to communicate that so it will lead to the conviction of sin, repentance, and worship. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. In a moment, we'll give an opportunity for up to three prophecies that the Lord may speak among us this morning. But before we do that, and after this, the band are going to sing a song. And during that time, if you sense the Lord stirring up in you something that gives glory to God and builds up the church in this place, I, I want to invite you to speak it out this morning. There'll be a microphone that'll be passed around by Mark, or you can come and stand here, uh, whatever you prefer. Our lives are to be a prophetic statement from the Lord. Every one of us, every day, everywhere, are called by God to live in close communion with God. And so, how we live and what we say or don't say should be full of truth and grace. As with all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy is for the common good. It's for the building up of not only the church, but of all humanity. And they are to be words that strengthen, encourage, and comfort. Prophecy in the New Testament and the church has significant differences to prophecy in the Old Testament. As we've been saying again and again throughout this last series, Jesus is the game changer. 
everything gets transformed by Jesus. We live in a time of grace. We live in this period where Jesus, as we read in John chapter 12, says, I have not come to condemn, I have come to rescue. Today is the day of salvation. That's what that means. In other words, the window of grace is open to us, and it's been open to us now for over 2,000 years. Why? Because God is slow to anger and abounding in grace. So the window of grace has been open to us for over 2,000 years. But as we've been reminding ourselves in recent weeks too, the Lord has not changed. The Lord is still a Lord who will bring justice. But the nature of prophecy in this window of grace is one that reflects grace and invites us by the Spirit of Jesus Christ to turn to Him of our own free will, to respond to His sacrifice, to respond to His goodness, and to put Him in charge of our lives. And so as by His Spirit, we have the privilege of sharing in the prophetic ministry of Christ. And this is what the prophetic ministry of Christ looks like. In Luke chapter 4, we read about Jesus standing up in the synagogue in Nazareth in his own hometown, unrolling the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him, finding the place in Isaiah 61 that says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. In quoting from the first number of verses of Isaiah 61, Jesus purposely leaves out half a verse, and the verse is this, and with that day, the day of God's anger against His enemies. Why does Jesus omit that verse? Because with Jesus, the window of grace is opening. The day of judgment will come. But Jesus came to open the window of grace. And the window will close, but the window, by the grace of God, is open. Now is the day of our salvation. As Jesus sat down, it says in Luke 4, everyone spoke well of him, and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. So what should prophecy look like for us as people of the new covenant of Jesus Christ? It should sound like gracious words coming off our lips. It should be words that bring comfort and build up and strengthen. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of what's wrong in our lives, and we leave that for the Holy Spirit to do. So what I'd love to do now 
is that as the bands sing, that for us just to just to be still and to ask the Lord to speak to us. It could be that something that you've read out of the first five books in the Bible in the last eight weeks, and God has revealed the truth to you. And during this song, or even during what I've been saying, you've been getting a holy nudge from God, a prodding in your side. And God is saying to you, although you do want to, I would like you to say something this morning. Perhaps your heart is beating fast because of it. A word from the Lord is one that will give glory to Him and will build us up as the people of God. I think we'll just remain seated for this as the band sings.
just before we uh, have that time of, um, uh, of, of a giving words of encouragement and, uh, am I on here? Yeah. Uh, giving words of encouragement and I'd love to just pray a prayer in which this morning, if you've been impacted by the grace of God, perhaps in the midst of worship, you just sense God loves me just the way I am. I'd love to give an opportunity to, to step into the family of God. And uh, if that's you, I'd love you to join me in the silence of your hearts in a prayer, asking Christ to give you a new start. And no matter what your past looks like, the Lord wants to give you a new start this morning. So if that's you, uh, just pray quietly as we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you love me just the way that I am. And yet, Lord, you love me too much to leave me the same. Thank you, Lord, that all that stuff in my past and even in my present, I can bring to you now. And Lord, I just say, please sort it out. I'm sorry for the, my part in the mess of it all. I pray, Lord, you give me a new start, and I pray that you would give me the strength now to walk as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, and Lord, that you would uh, help me uh, to be a blessing in this family, and this family to be a blessing to me, and to be supportive of one another, and to walk together, and to grow in the goodness and the knowledge of the goodness of the Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit now. We pray, Lord, I pray, fill me with your strength. Just as I've been sensing your presence during this last while, I pray, Lord, that you would fill me now with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Has anyone prayed that prayer this morning for the first time? We're going to have a time of sharing. And uh, I would just love if you have been sensing a nudge from the Lord. It was wonderful the last service that we actually had more people wanted to speak than we had time for. And uh, if you'd love to speak from your place or to come up here and speak, you're among God's family. This is a place of grace. And if you have anything that the Lord has been showing you or teaching you or nudging you about, just share it for the glory of God and to give us, please, some encouragement. A word of encouragement or a word of prophecy and of revelation. So please put up your hand if you sense the Lord wants to say something. Thanks, Johnny. Good morning, folks. Hope you can hear me. Um, I just felt the Lord nudging me towards a scripture, and I looked it up on my phone here. It's Galatians 5.1, and it says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. And I just felt that the Lord was saying um, that maybe there's people here this morning, maybe me included, where there's tiredness and heaviness and a sense of just dryness, perhaps, in your spiritual walk, but the Lord's saying, it's for freedom that I've set you free, and just to step into that afresh again.